Hey, friends, family, friends who are family, fwaf, and the odd listener who is listening that you know doesn't really know me and somehow got a hold of this. Um, today's episode is challenging for me to do, but I'm going to do it because I think that it's important that I get my words and thoughts out, and I think it'll help me move forward better. So I'm going to try my best here to model being strong by being vulnerable. And I think the more that people understand that true strength is to be vulnerable so others can see that you need a little extra or that, you know, you're just, you're just going through a hard time and whatever, that people have time for that. And it's important that we make ourselves vulnerable to others so that uh, we can get help when we need it. And don't bullshit me. Everyone needs help sometimes. So I'd like to say I've got two stories I'd like to share here. And both are sad. Both are sad. Uh, Firstly, um, my wife and Amanda, we've been together 15 years. And I'm so proud of that. Um, We've grown so much, both as individuals and as a couple. And I'm proud of us because we're pretty fucking awesome and we're really strong, but we're going through it right now. Um, Back in February on family day weekend, um, we put our 11 and a half year old English bulldog Maverick, we put him down. Um, And it was a beautiful day and that story will be told another day. That's, that's just some background, some backdrop for you. Um, we miss him. We thought that our, our 10-year-old bull mastiff, Eden, she would be 11 um, in August. Um, she was getting sad, we thought, depressed because of Maverick dying. So we thought that. And then we made a plan to try and make her happier, but I've pretty much been teaching from home online since then. So there really wasn't much opportunity for me throughout the day to take Eden out because of the way that I do this job, which is like a, if you'd like a glimpse into that, please listen to episode 33 that I just put out, uh, schooling and not standing with the notwithstanding clause. Um, so I'd like to just tell you that, uh, you know, Eden, Eden was not depressed. Uh, turns out that she she was suffering from non-regenerative, non-regenerative anemia. There, I got it right. Um, and that is where she's not making enough red blood cells. And it's likely, highly likely, due to cancer. And Amanda and I went through a long journey of figuring out Um, why she suddenly stopped eating, not even peanut butter or cheese, people just stopped eating. Um, We started getting her back onto eating human food after she would have uh, an appetite stimulant. And while we were trying to get back results um, from we thought it was this thing, we thought it was that thing, she had had like, I think, three different blood tests, a bone marrow uh, biopsy was suggested, She's had two different kinds of ultrasounds. 
no, she was, she's had one, but she was waiting to have another. Like, this is what I mean, guys. Like it's long and arduous. And really at the end of the day, we knew there was a ridiculous probability that it's leading to cancer and we're not willing to treat cancer in a dog that is, is 10 years old. And Amanda looked up the life expectancy of a bull mastiff and, you know, it's, it's eight to eight to, you know, eight years ish, like eight to nine, eight to 10 years, people are saying, and she was going to be 11 in a couple of months. So, um, we made the really difficult decision to put her down yesterday and it was, it was a beautiful day because our, our vet clinic let us do the procedure outside on a blanket, calm and chill. And I got to look at my dog's eyes as they faded off. And I'm happy I did. It was uh, hard to do, but not really. I don't know. It sounds weird. I'm sure some of you get it. I'm sure some of you will get it. And yeah, anyway, I was, uh, I was proud of us because we, we did a lot of healing. And I'll, I'll tell you more about it in this letter that I wrote here to my dog Eden who has passed. And if you're not into this, I'm sure you don't need to listen to the whole episode. If you're still listening, then you're my people. Dog people, what's up? Just kidding. You might just be a pet person. So there's more to this story though. Um, in my last episode, episode 33, the one I had just mentioned before, I did briefly discuss having some friends at the park that uh, I would go to pretty often throughout the week with my dog, Eden. Um, I, I call it ARP. It's really Alex Robertson Park. It's not far from where we live. It's beautiful. It's spacious. Uh, there's all kinds of everything for everybody. Um, and Eden and I used to sit there and watch the cricket players play cricket. So... We also had a bench that we would sit at at the top of a hill that uh, I mentioned as well in the same letter that I've just told you about that I'll probably read after some practice so that you, this whole episode isn't just me blubbering. <laughs> um, but today I did visit that park despite not having Eden with me. And uh, I found out that one of my friends that I was always looking forward to seeing, the man that I mentioned in the last episode, as an older gentleman, it's just very wise, and he's going through palliative care situation as a caregiver. Um, this gentleman, who is a wonderful, wonderful man, full of wise, sage advice, um, and a no-bullshit attitude, straight out of Ireland, um, so I'll talk more about him later, but found out that he, that he had died um, about two weeks ago. He was at the park with his dog, came home, collapsed, and was gone. And that really knocked me off my feet this morning. I was in disbelief, um, as if two bad things can happen that quickly together. Like, come on, people, we all know things happen in threes or whatever, you just know that sometimes the hits keep coming and they don't stop coming. And 
It's like Rocky's, you know, it's like Rocky says to his kid, you know, it's, it's not about how hard you could hit. It's about how hard, you, how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And it's the truth, you know? So that's how the cookie crumbled uh, this time around. Lost two good friends, but I know they lost. I know that they lost their lives around the same time. And uh, if you, if you believe in, you know, being on the other side, then you're down with the idea that they're probably chilling together, learning the ropes together. So I hope they visit me in some way. You know what I mean? Um, even if just in thought when I, uh, when I'm reminded of them. So I got more to say later on. Let me try and get my shit together so I can read you this letter. Thank you for listening. Okay. Time to read this letter. To my dog, who has been dead for just over a day now. Today's Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. Dear Eden, yesterday we put your earthly body to rest at Millennium City Vet Hospital at about 9.25 a.m. It was beautiful and so were you. Your journey to being sick isn't important, but your life and positive vibes and happiness were. Last night, I went to bed after your mom, and when I came to bed, I was, I was freezing and shaking. I actually woke your mom up and had her hold me to warm up. <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night to pee, and you weren't there. It's odd, but I'll adjust. I woke up at 7.50 a.m. and knew that I had time today. I was off work today, too, to head to ARP to see Peter, Finn, Doug, and Monty. So I got me a double-double and one birthday cake uh, Timbit, just like always. I had written we, but then I obviously crossed it out, and I, I amended it to I came to the park, and Doug was there with Monty, and Brian, Jody, and Mira were there too. I got out of the car, and Brian asked, Where's Eden? And from the distance between us, I just said, when you know, you know, and kind of lifted my arms up and shrugged my shoulders. They were all sad, and they listened to your story. Then Doug told me that Peter had died of a heart attack about two weeks ago. He was here at the park, came home, and died. I was so sad to hear that. Doug lost a buddy, Finn lost a dad, and the whole world lost a great man and counselor. Life is short, and these are the reminders. Eden, you made me better, and I'll honor you by trying to be who you probably thought I was, which is one of my favorite versions of myself. If I'm this guy more often, then the world will be just a little bit better. I can't thank you enough, Eden, my sweet, sweet baby girl. I'm sitting in our bench on the hill at ARP as I write this to you. The one bench that's memorialized as Barbara Ann Harrison, 1947 to 2001. Kind, gentle, stoic, beautiful, always a lady, end quote. Your mom and I want, sorry, your mom and I went to your bench. No. Nope. 
Your mom and I went to your beach. My handwriting is wonderful. Your mom and I went to your beach that you and her would go to, right past that spot where you collapsed. And then we walked to ARP and we sat at our bench yesterday. It felt like therapy and it felt important to do. She was the one who'd read the bench's inscription and we agree you and Barbara Ann have a lot in common. I feel compelled to reach out to her family in some way to let them know how great this spot is, but I don't want to be a big weirdo. I've already been kind of a big weirdo anyway. More on that soon. Everything is connected, and it's getting clearer and clearer to me. One of my last conversations with our friend Peter was him recommending a book, The Life Cycle Completed, Second Edition, by Eric Erickson and his wife, Mrs. Erickson. Pardon me for not remembering her first name. He said in that book, or he said that it was, it was the best book he'd come across to help humans understand all other humans, but mostly for us to understand us and how and why we are who we are. I've got to say I've read about one third of the book and I feel like finishing it very soon. Again, it feels important. You and Peter are souls that have enriched the lives of countless others. And I really hope that your memories continue to inspire compassion, kindness, and empathy in others. It's vital, and I will do my part. Please, Eden, remind me when I start to slip into my old stupid patterns while I try to be even better. I wish you both peace and infinite happiness. Rest in peace, Eden Page and Peter Duffy. So I could talk forever about the impact Eden left on me and my family and everyone who met her. But I don't think that you guys would listen to it all because it would be too long and I would get messages on my Facebook telling me how long my episode was and that it was too long and that my messages... My, <laughs> my episodes are just too long. Um, but Eden will have more time. We will talk about Eden another day. I'm sure one day my wife and I will sit down and talk about both of our dogs and really let the grief out. But I want to read right now um, a little bit about uh, Peter Duffy because I think that the man's life was important and inspiring. And although I only knew him for a few short months, um, something about him was inviting. Something about him was, I don't know, I can't put my finger on it. But he, he was just so cool and confident. Cool and confident. Um, we talked a lot about his history growing up in Ireland and coming to Canada when he was about, I believe he was 15. Um, all the various jobs that he had worked over the years. And we sort of compared eras in a way, compared decades. Like, I believe he was just short of 65 years old. And I, again, I could be wrong on these facts. To him, I might just be a guy at the park. But to me, he was, I don't know. 
some guidance and a time I needed some guidance. Um, I mentioned uh, briefly before that he was a counselor. Um, and I mean like clinical social worker and a psychotherapist, that kind of counselor. And he wasn't like a know-it-all in your face kind of, I don't know, counselors usually aren't those types anyway, but he didn't walk around pretending to be a super wise guy. He just was, just was a wise guy. Um, the book that he recommended, The Life Cycle Completed, to me, it just gives me perspective on life. I know you're like, what else would it give you perspective on, Rick? That's why we listen to you, bud. Because of your hot takes on things. <laughs> Peter A. Duffy, BSW, MSW, RSW, and RP. And don't don't ask me what all of those uh, acronyms stand for. But I think that they stand in place of all the credentials that he has from a lifetime of learning and a lifetime of trying to understand others. Um, Duffy Counseling Services redefining perspectives that's that's his card and he he was practicing out of pickering and uh you know i think the essence of the life cycle completed the book that he mentioned to me which is about not just life and death but just about how those life cycles that we seem to to think you know you're an infant and then you're a toddler, and then you're a child, and then you're an adolescent, and then you're a teenager, and then you're, you know, in my case, a man. And then you get into that, like, more responsible part of your life, I guess, where I'm at right now, kicking and screaming, <laughs> um, you know, being responsible. And then after that, you turn into an elderly person. And the old life cycle completed text kind of stopped after old age. And this updated version, which he insisted, I needed to get the second version because they, they found out more. Their research extended. The, the Erickson family decided to continue learning more about this. And as the Ericksons became elderly themselves, Eric and his wife realized that there's another life stage that we don't talk about. And that's when an elderly person actually needs to rely on other people in their, in their family or in their community for care because their bodies, uh, their bodies have, you know, started to break down and their abilities aren't there anymore. So this book kind of highlights that if you're lucky enough, if you make it, you wind up being sometimes helpless and a little bit defenseless and you have also like acquired all of the wisdom and oh what's the other one wisdom and ethics i guess wisdom and the the understanding of what the right thing to do is and imagine living your life, and I, I, I see old people differently now. I do. I don't just see, you know, probably, I was probably guilty of ageism 
probably, where you sort of think that you know something about someone just by looking and seeing how old they are. You can't tell how someone votes by looking at how old they are. You might think you can, but you can't really. You might think you know someone's stance on gun control or um, drugs, you know, whether marijuana should be legal or, um, you know, if, if there's, you know, a place for sex workers to work safely. Like, you can't look at an older person and, and assume that you know their stance on something. That's ridiculous. And yet, these are beliefs that I held. And I'm, I'm, I'm proudly sitting here saying that I see it differently now. So in the life cycle completed, it really does uh, highlight the fact that there are these different stages. And yes, if life brings you to that stage, if you happen to be there and you know the next kind of level opens up to you, that's great. But I think what it's getting at and again, I'm only one third through. So like this is classic high school pagey here, half reading a book and trying to bullshit what it means so I can spit out the answer at the end without having to actually get to the end of the book. <laughs> but I think that there's an emphasis on once you have reached a new life cycle stage that you should be able to tap into all the ones that you have had access to in the past and you should be able to go back and like be a kid again when it's appropriate that you need to turn into responsible adult again when it's appropriate and when there's an infant around you know you can't you can't be and we know this subconsciously but i'm trying to bring that into the consciousness <laughs> you're hanging out with an infant you can't be that responsible adult that just talks to the infant in proper sentences with proper punctuation you go all goo goo gaga on that baby you do and life is really about adjusting and adapting and using what you know to help you in what you're going through positively or negatively so i do plan on finishing this book and it's funny because i won't i won't forget peter had said to me uh, well, what kind of books do you read and i said usually i don't I try to read books and I wind up finish or not finishing them. I wind up kind of abandoning them or I have like 10 books going and it's like a rarity that I finish a book and he's like, Hmm, isn't that interesting right then and there? Isn't that interesting? I'm like, I think, I think he's saying I need to like commit to finishing something. I need to sit down and, finish a book if it's that interesting to me if i find it interesting i should be just fucking finishing the book um peter had this way about saying things that uh, it didn't necessarily come across as um warm and cuddly that wasn't really his essence um peter was hard of hearing so if you were talking to him, especially outside, he needed to see your face because he was very, very, very adept at reading your, reading your mouth, really, reading your mouth. When you grow up hard of hearing, that becomes a skill that you learn to adapt and, you know, make work for you. So sometimes when he spoke, he was 
shorter. It might look shorter, but it's just because of the difficulty of understanding and and knowing the right time to jump in. And so sometimes he would kind of cut me off a little bit, but not in like a, a bad way, just like a, hey, let's save some time here way. And we talked about how challenging it is with the pandemic and, and teaching online and counseling people online virtually through a screen. He was not a fan of it, not a fan of it at all. He had said that uh, 90% of communication is nonverbal. And when he said that to me in conversation, I was like, oh, crap, this is exactly what I've been paying a lot of attention to. I'm starting to realize that there are people that are just stronger with their sensations. They're just more aware of what's going on around them. And it doesn't mean that they're better people or anything like that. In fact, it's usually tortured souls that <laughs> find, find that they can't help but pay attention to everything. That data comes at them, that, that they're constantly overwhelmed by their senses, that they see and hear so much and, and feel even so much. And uh, in my, my own personal research, we've come to describe those people as HSP or highly sensitive people. We're not superheroes or anything, but about 20% of the population um, is considered highly sensitive. And it just means that we have just a higher sense of awareness of what's going on around us. And it can be helpful for jobs like Peter's and my own. Um, but if you don't do those jobs, it can sometimes just probably be overwhelming. So he and I talked about how easy it is to look at a student or a patient and see their eyes and where they're looking see what their hands are doing, see how their body is sitting or standing, see which direction their toes are pointing, see which sounds and, and happenings around us that they're also keenly aware of. And if you notice that stuff, and if you know what to look for, you look for facial expressions and changes in temperament. If you can take in all that data and, and, and use it to see where everyone else is at with what's going on, you can be a pretty damn fucking good teacher or counselor or police officer or mom or dad or big brother or big sister. The list goes on. There are downsides to being a highly sensitive person. I can tell you that much. But if you can make it work for you, it's going to work, man. So it was great because once Peter had said that to me, I was like, wow, you kind of get it. I felt like I got like a nice glimpse of who he was. You know those times when someone says something and you're like, that's all I need to know about you. You're my people. I know this, you know, or they say something and you're like, that was all I needed to know about you to know that you're not my people. And I know I'm going on and on and on. And I just I just put my dog down. And I spent 10 years with her. And, and most of this podcast is about this man that I've only known for a few months. I probably only spent about, oh, less than 50, 50 hours with in my life. But 
one of my problems that I'm aware of is that I work really hard to make sure that people like me and I don't, I don't really know why I do that. So I'm working on it called codependency. Essentially I've always kind of found honor and uh, purpose in making people around me feel happy. So I make friends and I'm friendly with people. And when I'm with those people, I'm checking on them and making sure that things are good and that everyone's having a fun time and that everyone's okay. And if someone's not okay, that the right thing happens so that they can be okay. And uh, yeah, that's it's, it sounds good, but it can make you work, work, work and burn your own gas tank down. And then at the end of the day, you're going to be alone with yourself at some point. We all are. And when you've run yourself out of energy, trying to dote on people and make them happy, forgoing your own happiness and not even sure, not even being sure what your own happiness might even mean in that moment. When you're doing that, it's not good for anybody because eventually you run out of gas for everybody. And then you wind up needing to take time. And if you're like me, when you go to take your time after not, giving yourself the time that you need, you're going to be a little cranky. And although I am a nice person and I know I can say I'm, I'm a very caring, genuinely nice person, I'm an absolute dickhead when I haven't had enough whatever it is that I need. So I mentioned this to Peter, knowing that he was a counselor and I didn't want to be one of those schmarmy people that latches on to a counselor and gets free advice. I was very worried about that, which is interesting in and of itself, isn't it? Peter might say, and then he would stick his tongue out just a little bit, not like a nana nana boo boo, but just enough that his tongue kind of pushes past his lips to say, Hey, I'm, I'm fucking with you right now. And I like that. We don't do that enough. It used to be a common expression like that. Just joking, you know, just kidding around. Um, but I mentioned this codependency and he said, listen, here's what you got to know. Most people don't like you. Most people are not going to like you. And I was a little taken aback because that's kind of been my whole mantra my whole life is that anyone can like anyone if they just get to know them better. But I like his take on it better. And he, he kind of justified it with the following. He said, Think about all the things that you like and you care about that others don't like and don't care about. Like he's like, you're obsessed with baseball. You love baseball. So someone who just doesn't like baseball, they already don't like you. They don't need to know you. They don't need to get to know you. They don't like you because you're a baseball guy. Some people won't like you because you are talkative. So there's a bunch of people that find talkative people annoying. Then they, they, they won't like you. Those people don't like you. Uh, you're a dog guy. Well, guess what? You know, if you start talking about pets and animals with a cat person and you, you let your feelings known, let, let your feelings be known about, you know, dogs versus cats. Look at those cat people. They're, they don't like you. They don't like you. And he's like, and, and you can split it down even further. Like you could be walking along and talking with someone. And then all of a sudden they say something about gay people that you don't like. They, they say something ignorant about gay people. 
all of a sudden that breaking that more that like social code that unwritten rule that's out there about being uh, you know a citizen with someone else when that comes um in that moment you're like okay you're not my people and he's like think of all the things that divide us you know the truth is humans are we're all unique yes but we're all copies of different things that have existed in time there's seven billion people on this planet and there can't be seven billion different types of people he's like you know there's a lot of overlap so quit running around trying to make seven people seven billion people like you he's like the fact of the matter is you should be putting your energy and time and thought into those that you know already do like you so your friends your family and everything else is just work i guess and i don't know i might be paraphrasing some of this lesson here but um i can appreciate that you really can't make everyone like you and you shouldn't be you shouldn't be that shouldn't be your goal and when i'm doing well it's not my goal but guess what i'm not doing well i'll be okay but it's these little lessons from from eden page and peter duffy that I think are valuable ones for everybody. Um, be true to yourself. Make yourself happy. Open yourself up to others. I never would have met Peter if Eden wasn't Eden. If she wasn't so comfortable making friends with people, and to a lesser extent, other dogs. She liked dogs. She just didn't care about them. She was all about the people. So if we can be more like Eden, where you can say hi to someone who has something in common with you, maybe that one thing is just that you're at the same place at the same time. Be friendly. You never know who you might be making friends with. You never know how much they might impact your life. And you never know how much time you have left on this earth. So with that, I'm just going to say, Make sure you love your pet a little bit more. Hug them a little bit tighter. Hold them closer. Because nothing's permanent. And to all of your friends and family and friends who are family that really truly touch you. Not physically. That's Get help for that if that stuff's happening, of course. No time for a joke. Why do you make jokes, Paige? Okay, I'm back. Um, just make sure that they know how you feel because there's a lot of truth in the fact that most people don't like you. There is a lot of truth there, like factually. So that does make the ones that do like you more important by default, I think. So friends, family, friends who are family, um, thank you for listening. And, uh, I hope that everyone's doing okay out there. Thank you.